For the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net, I'm John Schuck. Kurt Vonnegut spoke to some graduates at Agnes Scott College, and he said this, Some of you may know that I am a humanist or free thinker, as were my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and ancestors, and so not a Christian. By being a humanist, I'm honoring my mother and father, which the Bible tells us is a good thing to do. But I say with all my American ancestors, if what Jesus said was good and so much of it was beautiful, what does it matter if he was God or not? If Christ hadn't delivered the Sermon on the Mount with its message of mercy and pity, I wouldn't want to be a human being. I would just as soon be a rattlesnake. That was Kurt Vonnegut. We're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and the Bible. Today's guest is Kenneth Briggs. He's a journalist and commentator who worked for many years as religion writer for Newsday and religion editor for the New York Times. He's the author of The Invisible Best Seller, Searching for the Bible in America. He has traveled the country talking to people about the Bible, and even as it is still a bestseller, few people know what is in it. He's with me on the phone from Easton, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Kenneth Briggs, to Progressive Spirit. Thank you very much. Well, the question is in your book that folks are not reading their Bibles, and you're and you're looking for the answer to that. What, is that the basic thesis of your book? Well, the, the, yes, the, that's, that's part of the premise. Is they're not reading, and and why? Yeah, what, what's behind that? Uh, both in terms of of. Uh, Christians, but also in terms of the nation, uh, like what's how come the nation has also kind of turned away from it? Some of the reasons for that, uh, because of the secularization, right? The Bible's origin is now seen by more and more people as as human and not divine, in which uh, the idea of the divine origin for Christianity or the Christian West is... Um, Given the impetus, yes, this came from the Bible. This is the story of our origins from beginning to end. And now that's the big story um, isn't compelling anymore. Science has taken it, taken it away. Yeah, there, that's, there's, there's a lot in that. And uh, the, pre, the presupposition up until, oh, probably a little past the actual beginning of the Enlightenment uh, basically the last two or three centuries before that, the presupposition was always you did not really read the Bible without a prior commitment to the belief system that went behind it, which was that it did have a divine origin, that there was a divine or, uh, uh, originator, and uh, that that uh, divine element of life was part of uh, why you read the Bible. And uh, and that has largely eroded uh, science uh, being part of it and uh, a general this-worldliness in many regards uh, having uh, turned attention away from believing in anything uh, supernatural to believing that we are uh, more or less the masters of our own destiny uh, on Earth. So uh, that it really takes away a lot of the incentive that people had to read the Bible to find out what divine ins- divine uh, wisdom could be found there. What would you say uh, evaluating this is this is this a good thing? Um, is, is there something, or maybe rather than good or bad, what's gained and what's lost 
uh, with well, this new view? That, that's a very good question because I I, uh, I uh, tried to as much as possible uh, remain above the, the battle and look at um, the, the pluses and minuses. The minus part of it, what we've lost, I think, is there hasn't been anything that's supplied the general orientation toward purpose, meaning, uh, insight, and all the rest of it that that, that the Bible traditionally did. Uh, I'm not saying that it has to be the Bible, but it would seem to me to be a, a wider point of reference is needed than simply the American pragmatism or the American success story values that go with uh, competition and, and, and winning and losing and profit and loss. And uh, I don't think that has been filled in. Uh, on, on the plus side, I think there has been a coming to terms uh, with what the Bible uh, is, and that it, it, it isn't a, a product of whole cloth that came drifting down from some other sphere, but that it was uh, uh, put together uh, piece by piece and reshuffled and rewritten and reorganized and everything else. That there was a dimension to it that was, uh, was supremely human. It does have value. It just isn't in the mode that it was uh, presented for so many centuries. As a human book, accepting the historical critical method and so forth, uh, is the Bible compelling enough, or, or are we just going to lose it as we lose this sense of um, at the transcendence, as you put it? Well, again, I think that uh, pinpoints a very critical issue. Uh, we don't know yet, I don't believe. We don't know uh, whether it's going to go on in any uh, substantial form in the future. I think there's a great deal there that, that's worthy but without the uh, the added uh, incentive or push that comes from thinking that it's it's a divine word that needs to be uh, figured out in order to uh, well, from among other things, gain the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that without that ac- extra motivation, I'm not sure that people are going to go to it. Because we've filled the world pretty much now with self-help books and quick advice that uh, purport to do uh, the same thing. I, I think the Bible is much richer in its, uh, uh, its content and its uh, context. Uh, but, I, for example, I don't think anything that I see on the self-help front comes anywhere near the power of the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, for example, that kind of turns almost everything on its head and actually acts as a critique to the American way of life. If you're just joining us on Progressive Spirit, my guest is Kenneth Briggs. He's the author of The Invisible Bestseller, uh, Searching for the Bible in America. Well, you, you touch on something that I think is is, is really important. I find that the Bible is uh, very 
political. It has a, a strong anti-imperial streak to it. It also has a mixed message. I mean, uh, John Dominic Crossan talks about the Bible and, and the God portrayed there as uh, polar opposites in some cases, uh, that the Bible in one hand is liberative, and the other hand it also can be oppressive, um, violent, and it takes really a critical eye to be able to read this complex book. Yes, it does. I, I do think it has a developmental aspect to it, in which you find in some portions of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, uh, elements of destruction and God's anger and all that kind of personality. I think you also find the other values uh, not so strong. But as you, be- you begin to go through various parts of the Bible, I think, you know, I like to think maybe that it ends up in a place where you really can't justify slavery, that you really can't justify the oppression of women. I guess I think it ends up in a place that's, uh, or can be distilled into a set of uh, values that I can ascribe to, even though I don't find them very comfortable. That, that has to do with a challenge to everyday life. The, your title of your book is The Invisible Best Seller. I mean, it's uh, it's a popular book. It's still selling, I don't know, you got a figure in there of, of billions of copies. It's it, And yet, so people have buy it, but they don't necessarily read it. And, and I wonder if it's kind of like uh, an acceptance that, well, Shakespeare is good for you, but I'm still going to, uh, you know, watch The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> that the right. Bible might be That's good for you, but analogy. it's... It's just too complex, and it's it's hard to get to. Well, those I, I love the I love the saying of I believe uh, Mark Twain, who said he he heard complaints that you know people would say, "Well, I'd read the Bible, but it's too complicated, it's too obscure, and all the rest of it." And his response was, um, "I'm much more concerned with the uh, parts of the Bible I do understand." more than I am the parts that I don't. And, and the, ah. the, the, the message was that's used as an excuse. As Americans, I, I know this is a terrible generalization perhaps, but as Americans, we don't really bother a whole lot with depth material. We, you know, if, unless, you're, unless you've got something that's a fairly quick read, uh, uh, entertainment or... Uh, quick biographies and celebrity stuff and a lot of that stuff. But we, we, there's not a great deal of interest in looking at things in any greater depth, particularly if they raise disturbing questions. So, in that way, I guess it's not it's not surprising, but it it keeps people from reading the Bible, and they're nervous enough about what they're going to find in it anyway. And unfortunately, as you would well know. It too often in the past, it's become known as nothing more than a rule book that's going to scold you for everything. And when I'm talking about challenge, I'm not talking about scolding. I'm talking about the the orientation of one's life to for, things for which one lives, and not uh, whether not particular practices on a daily basis. But I think all of that deters people, and they and all kinds of excuses come forth about why reading isn't a good thing. Certain portions of the Christian community were actually discouraged from reading the Bible, uh, the hierarchical churches, because, you know, the idea was, well, if, if you need to know something about it, uh, the clergy will tell you. 
<laughs> right. Uh, well, you know, it, it is true. I mean, that the parts of the Bible that are um, most convicting are, are pretty easy to understand. Uh, three words, love your enemies, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how do we say that in the midst of, you know, uh, being the largest manufacturers of weapons on the planet as America? Sure. And uh, go sell what you have. And give to the poor. You lack one thing, and uh, which is actually one of the more amusing things in the, in the Bible, uh, when it says, "And he went away very sad." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. The, the again, Sermon on the Mount is not a particularly difficult thing to understand if you want to look at it. This is what it's like. You have this choice or that choice. Choose whom you. Su- whom you shall serve, you know, that kind of thing. It's pretty clear-cut. Kenneth Briggs is my guest. He's the author of the invisible bestseller, Searching for the Bible in America. And that's what you did. You searched. You you went around uh, the country, talked to different people in different places. You went to Dayton, Tennessee. I I lived in uh, uh, East Tennessee myself. Well, let's talk about Dayton for for a bit. Um, You make a case for understanding uh, William Jennings Bryan a little bit better, a, a Presbyterian and social gospel person. Um, yeah, he 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 got branded as this uh, fundamental ignoramus, but that really wasn't the story, was it? No, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, one of the things I I discovered, I may have rediscovered it, but I think at my age I can't always tell the difference. Uh, that he did not believe in a literal seven day creation, twenty four hours a day. He didn't believe that, and there are a number of things that he was not associated at all with. The, the kind of literalism that that surrounded him, I and mean, he he undoubtedly gave into some pressures to to appear more like that than he was. But he wasn't really uh, that closed-minded at all. And I think the the people of uh, Dayton, uh, uh, you're probably familiar with this, they feel uh, felt as if they had really been gamed in that yeah. trial because they didn't really ask for it. Uh, it was rather imposed upon them as a good opportunity to come up with a, a case history trial. And there they were, sitting ducks for it. And they got painted as being these uh, illiterate rubes. And uh, and, and the, the stain is still there. And I do think it's, it was very unfair, not only to Brian, but the townspeople. Not to say that they aren't very conservative, but uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Whose Bible is it? Uh, is it a church's book? Does it have something to do with America? It had a lot to do with America. I mean, it was in the it was in the backdrop and the subconscious, at least, of America from the very beginning, as the the pattern or the design or the uh, set of uh, aspirations that America. Uh, committed itself to as a new place, uh, and uh, rightly or wrongly, in, in many cases, particularly if you're a Native American, but uh, it, it was a it was a template, and uh, and for for the way people ought to live, whether they were inside churches or not, because it's good to remember that after at least the best estimates are that following the revolution. Uh, only probably 15 to 20 percent of the people in the country belong to churches. So it was much more of a, of a, a public uh, guide light and
and uh, it, it played that part for an awful long time. It shaped our images of what community life was, our language, our uh, kind of, uh, to some extent, our public governance, uh, and so on. But it was deeply, deeply embedded in the imagery and the allegory and the mythology of, of uh, the civic nation as well as the religious nation. And some of that critique uh, that has happened, say, within the last maybe 50 years of um, a feminist critique, that the, the Bible is a patriarchal book, or Manifest Destiny. And that's probably taken a shot at the Bible's uh, authority as an inspirational book. You know, it, it has, but, but it didn't have to, in my opinion anyway, because within the Bible there is a dynamic at work that says that you have to keep this work, the, the prophet's work never ends. Whenever you see something, you have to take another look at it. And maybe you've got it wrong, you know? Oppressing the poor might have seemed like a good idea, but guess what? I've noticed what's going on here, and I'm telling you, it's, uh, that is not what uh, the will of the higher power is, and you better get that right. So I think it's a self, the Bible has a self-critiquing element to it. That, uh, that, that, that can't help deal with these things. You know, does the Bible, that's because the Bible has uh, sexist uh, language and situations and arrangements at some point. Does that mean that it is sexist? I don't think so. I think the, uh, the, the seeds of a non-sexist, egalitarian uh, ethos is, is there. But it has to be a process by which every generation critiques itself in terms of the, of the highest goals, of the deepest meaning that can be found within the, the, the covers of the Bible. In one chapter, you talk about visiting the Society of Biblical Literature, and there is a tension between uh, those who look at it, you know, what we might say scientifically, and those who have a confessional view of it. And that tension still exists. Uh, one of my arguments is that a lot, of the, a lot of the problem with the Bible is that the, 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 the benefits that have come out of so much of the wonderful, rigorous scholarship that's been there have never really been translated very well to congregations of people. Yeah. Uh, they're two completely different worlds. Scholars have kept to themselves. Uh, congregations, a lot of times, don't want to hear anything about it. Uh, and, and there hasn't much, been much effort to create that conversation. And so I think it gets distorted into this. On one side, they're tearing the Bible to pieces, and the other, they're sticking up for it for all their might. And the, 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 the dichotomies are much, much too strong. And I think, well, one of the, I think, discoveries I made is that the, the whole biblical inerrancy side is not nearly as militant or strong as it used to be. Uh, I don't mean that there aren't people that, who don't still represent that, that case, but I think that is changing fast. And I think there's opportunity for being able to kind of look at these things and be a little tolerant toward the other guy. 
You know, I, 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 uh, I, one of the people I dealt with was uh, uh, Bill O'Brien, who runs the uh, runs the, the alternative seminary uh, in Philadelphia. He runs it out of a, a great big home uh, home for the homeless, and uh, he, uh, he a very astute guy, and he. You know, he'll he'll say, well, you know, the the, the scriptures uh, lead me in this direction. He's a very social justice kind of guy and all that, uh, affiliated with Eastern uh, uh, Baptist Seminary and all that stuff. And he'll say, I'm not going to give up for him. What for him is the spiritual elements in it either. He says the scholars go too far. They want to necessarily... Wipe out all the all traces of of what other people are reporting as their experiences that are spiritual, uh, maybe transcendent. And he said, he said, oh, he says, I'm not going to stamp that out. I mean, if I can't let it be in the discussion somewhere, then uh, I've imposed an, ar- uh, an arbitrary barrier on what the discussion is. So I think there's a lot more room for that to take place, but so long as we've got these divided sides, uh, I guess it can't happen as readily. Although, once again, I think that's breaking down uh, to a considerable extent. As I say in the book, there are a number of fairly leading uh, people who are on the infallibility side who have now kind of uh, given that up, and they haven't given up all... Uh, connected convictions, but they've given up largely that militant, polarized posture and have moved in different directions. And I think there's an openness there. Maybe things have to get uh, real bad before they can begin to be put together again. And I think maybe that's happening. Yeah, you know, I think of the last 40 years in my denomination, uh, the whole the battle has been over uh, the place of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people in the church. And the whole discussion has been about a Bible and about six verses. And it's just turned at least a generation, if not two, I I think, off totally Um, uh, that the the, the Bible is seen as this um, book that has been a hammer. Um, but what I hear you also saying is that, that, yeah, there's that, but there is some real depth in this uh, book, uh, this library of books that has been here for thousands of years that we're, we're, we're poorer for not putting our mind and heart uh, in wrestling with the texts uh, there. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, a uh, number of people will sp- almost spontaneously mention the Matthew 25, you know, where were you when I was poor? Where were you? And all that uh, kind of, in the end, what are we going to have to account for in ourselves, and at least as as having lived a a valid life? And and there it is, you know, if we've been putting all our time and energy into something uh, not worthy, then uh, there might be more than regret involved. I think it promotes, again, in its, in its more developed stages, perhaps, uh, individual dignity and, and individual worth a great deal. And, you know, making use of your abilities and all that stuff, which goes partly into, the, uh, into Adam Smith's version of the rise of capitalism, 
But then, of course, in at least American society, it goes too far. The Bible offered a buffer uh, for a certain time where even people who were doing hideous things uh, had to at least uh, be aware that there was this other body of consciousness that condemned it. And uh, when individualism took on a certain power, then that ability to buffer that was lost because you didn't have as much of the Bible there. The other thing is, I just wanted to mention the Presbyterian thing. I spent a lot of time in a Presbyterian church. I happened to get there just as they were going through their big battle over whether they were going to leave the denomination. Yeah. And uh, they were, uh, it was a very gloomy scene, as you as you might imagine. Every time you act against against the human spirit, this is my view, against the human spirit and against human openness, and you're trying to shut down and be exclusive in some way, uh, the whole mood of the place takes on a negativity that is just deadly. And I, I found it happening there. I mean, I found it happening over the ordination of women in the 70s, you know, where, where the churches said, we are putting our feet down, we're going to, uh, you know, all those other people are apostates, we're going to rally around our dissident uh, uh, numbers. And it turned bitter and all, all that stuff you associate with it. I think right now, when you, and especially in the in that Presbyterian Church, there were a substantial number of people who gave me hope because they were not satisfied with that pat answer. The pastor of the place, it was a big place, a lot of money. Um, the pastor tried to set down the rule and say, well, you know it. The Bible says this. The Bible concludes this. A lot of people never even looked into it to say to see if it did, but a number of people did, and a lot of them have left. I think most of them have left now, and they'll they'll split the place. But that was is where the hope is. People will uh, know enough to look, and they 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 they're serious enough to look at what the context is, and you don't have to go very far there before you discover. There's a lot of context. <laughs> Pretty hard to uphold a simplistic view. Yes. The Invisible Bestseller, Searching for the Bible in America, a very thoughtful read. I uh, very much enjoyed this. There's so much more we could talk about, but our, our time is up. Kenneth Briggs, uh, thank you for this important book, and thanks for being with me today. Thanks for being a great host. Find podcasts at ProgressiveSpirit.net. For the Pacifica Radio Network, I'm John Shuck. Be well. Mm-hmm.